listening to Connection Church's podcast. You might have been coming here for a bit, so let me feed you some words. Don't worry, they're probably not going to cut like knives like my pieces usually do. I'll start by giving you your first course. This church is hungry. They're full of the spirit, but they still fill the seats fast. People come with an appetite and connection always satisfies. Parishioners parched in their palates are pooped of practicing and playing piety, and here they get living water. We've mustered enough courage to catch up people before they barbecue, and we don't relish on their flaws. The sole mission is to feed the soul food, to produce the fruits of the spirit, to replace the first fruits we got a taste of. Our leaders follow the fish to give out the bread of life. Like I said, this church is hungry for God, and this hunger cannot be quenched. 2,237 people have taken their next step to be filled with his spirit. Three hundred and forty four salvations, four hundred and sixty baptized, three hundred twenty volunteers connecting people's lives, two hundred thirty five. That's always on your side. The heart and soul of ministry, five seventy four and connect groups to confide. We abide right here. But one hundred forty countries heard the message. One hundred thirty eight K walked through the doors to experience his presence. They got a blessing, heard a lesson. There's no question. It's impressive. The records surely lessen when they sit down to a session. The kids, the adolescents, sweatpants or in dresses, even though sick of church came here and God blessed them. We don't condemn the sick because they flew in for a reason. Whether their sin is bedside or their wheezing in the season, they came to the right place. A fire will get down inside them, a fever for the head that will cause them to die for them. 225,000 infected with our videos online, feeling really maligned, but the word was right on time. The words and lines I spit are ill only because it's Red Cross one. Because it's all said and done, when it's all said and done for connection, I guess the best is yet to come. Happy six. I didn't get that gift, but uh, he definitely did. We want to thank Denzel for coming and doing that with us this morning and just uh, being a part of us celebrating six years. Tomorrow will be six years that Connection's been around and uh, you heard some of the statistics. Yeah, it's awesome. Very thankful for what God's done and what he's allowed us to be a part of and the way he has moved, the way he is moving, the way we believe that he is going to move. Um, I just wanted to share with you real quick, just run through again. Um, over 2,000 people, 2,237 people taking their next step, 344 salvations, 460 people baptized, 320 volunteers who are right now serving uh, you each week, um, 574 people right now in connect groups. Um, this is one of them that was really cool to me. 140 different countries have heard the gospel through one of the messages that they've listened to from Connection online. Isn't that cool? That's pretty awesome. 138,000 people, over 138,000 people walked through the doors. 225,000 people have watched at least one of the videos online. And so um, we say that today, not to, to boast in what we've done, but to boast in what the Lord has done. Because we know that without Him, uh, none of this would happen. Uh, we know that left to, to what we can do, um, there, there wouldn't be a whole lot. 
there. And uh, so we know that only God can change a heart. And so we did want to celebrate that with you today. Um, celebrate uh, that we made it six years, right? And God is still working. I still believe with all my heart that the best is yet to come. And uh, I believe we mentioned last week that today we would announce our next major uh, step as a church, as a body, the next major step we're gonna take. Um, as you know, one of those was to begin our permanent facility, which is one side of the one-in-one -one program, but the other side is all focused on missions and outreach. And so today we wanted to announce to you and let you know that in 2015, our plans are that we would start our first campus um, outside of Statesboro in Vidalia, Georgia. So we're excited about that. Looking forward to seeing what God, seeing what God is going to do there. Um, as I said last week, we had a church that's reached out to us um, and just realizing that there are people there to be reached and that have uh, been willing to partner with us. We've seen so much favor there and so much that God uh, uh, seems to be wanting to do and allowing us to be a part of that. So we're looking forward to going and partnering with other churches and being a part of what God's gonna do there. Um, and uh, with that in mind, uh, many of you know uh, Billy Shiver. Billy is from that area and Billy will actually be the pastor there. I felt like a couple of years ago as I was praying, um, I was 37 at the time, I felt like the Lord put in my heart for Billy to be doing what I'm doing now when he's 27, not 37. And if you know Billy, um, he's mature beyond his years. And uh, I know he's gonna do a great job over there and I can't wait to see um, how all of that works out. Uh, today, we are going to start a new series. Um, last week, we looked at the vision and, and we believe God's called us to do a lot of things. We believe God is empowering us and leading us to do a lot of good things, a lot of great things for His name. Um, and with that in mind, uh, the name of this series is that it all starts with us. It all starts with us because Jesus began this, but now through His Spirit, He's empowered us to continue it. And so this series is going to be looking at how um, that happens, um, uh, specifically focusing on serving the community around us, serving people around us, showing the love of Jesus to people, being on mission um, with the gospel. And so we're gonna be looking at that over the next few weeks. Um, today, uh, I have the honor of introducing to you a, a very good friend of mine, um, and uh, you know him well. He's preached here many times. He's actually on staff here, so it's not like I'm introducing someone you don't know. But I did wanna just take a minute and tell you that um, this guy has meant a lot to me. He's been with me through a lot of difficult times, um, a lot of good times, a lot of challenges personally, a lot of challenges with the church and, and different things. Uh, that he has been um, a rock for me, um, someone who has walked with me and has always been a faithful friend. And so I'm excited for you to get to hear him again today um, as he comes and preaches week one of it's, uh, It All Begins With Us. And so I wanna introduce to you Joey Fennell for the first time, right? You've never known this guy, but I wanna bring him out. Um, and uh, I kinda wanted to do something different. I've always wanted to do something no, I'm kidding, that, that wasn't it. Um, I've always wanted to do something a little different. I always thought that maybe I had a good voice as a sports announcer, okay? And so I thought I might just try this out. This is being filmed, so this is pretty scary. Um, and, uh, and just try this out as if I could introduce him uh, the way that a sports announcer would beginning a ball game. Um, yeah, well, you wouldn't be at the plate yet, so you can't swing. You just, I mean, yeah, just over on, there somewhere. Yeah, oh, you're on deck. You're on deck. Okay, so if you'll bear with me uh, and let me try this uh, and just see how this works switch out. Switch hitter. Um, switch, oh, he's a switch hitter too. 
I think he's doing all the things he never really got to do when he was playing in real life. And so I guess you are fast and could hit the ball now. Okay, good, 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 good. And so here's what I thought I'd do is give him just a little introduction, something to kind of break the ice, loosen us up a little bit. So you ready? All right, if this isn't good, will you act like it's good anyway? All right, all right, here we go, here we go. And now, hailing from Brunswick, Georgia, number two in your programs, but number one in your heart, the executive pastor, number one, Joey Finnell. was awkward. Um, oh, really good. Really good. I enjoyed that. So you going to keep playing? Or are we going to? Uh, good. That's awesome. I, uh, strange happenings up here today. I'll bring you back a little later, Ryan. Thanks, bud. Let's give our band a hand for worship. An awesome job. They do such a great job of bringing us into worship and, and, uh, and listening to God and doing what he says as, as they lead us in worship. Um, uh, Brandon talked about, you know, we're starting this new series. It, it all starts with us. And um, we've been in the book of Acts and we're going to continue there because uh, there's really no other book that really tells us the meat of the early church and what the early church did and what they didn't do and how persecution came upon them from Satan and it is so evident and uh, happens um, today. It's always happened since that time and it will happen until Jesus comes back. Um, so we're gonna talk about that today in Acts chapter three. So you can turn there and get ready for that. Acts chapter three, beginning with verse one and we're gonna read the first 10 verses and that's where we're gonna spend some time on a very uh, common story that many of you will recognize. But first I wanted to ask a question. How many movie goers do we have in here? You like to go to the movies, so quite. Quite a few people who like to spend money for no apparent reason. But um, uh, my wife and I, Lisa, we, we love to go to the movies. Our family, we love the movies and, and love to go to the movies. And, and we decided to go last night to the movies. And um, I'm going to tell you what movie we saw because I don't want to you know, cause you to stumble or judge me for what I see at the movies. But I'm not going to tell you which one it was. But we went to a movie and over the past probably three or four movie visits that we've had, we've had the... Um, I guess the, the luxury of, of sitting in a place where people behind us came to fellowship rather than watch the movie. And I don't really understand this because the movie industry pays millions of dollars for these uh, nifty commercials to come on the beginning of it about no cell phones, you know, draw a line through that circle, no cell phones, it's pretty obvious. Don't use your phone and if you do, I don't like you because it shines in my face and it's against FBI regulations and you can like go to jail for a thousand years for using your cell phone if you record it. Um, anyway, so no cell phones, but I don't think they do a good enough job of telling people to be quiet during the movie. I think it's just an expectation that most people have if they're watching a movie not to talk so that you might can hear what's going on. But last night at the movies, the same type of thing happened, not only with people behind us, but also people on the other side and, and kind of throughout the whole theater that they were just, they would sing all the songs that were on there and they would just kind of talk about things that had nothing to do with the movie. And I don't understand why you would spend $150 on a ticket and popcorn and come talk about something else having nothing to do with the movie. This doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I'm the type, I can sit through a movie and I've done this all my life. Never have I, never, and quote me, I've never gotten up and gone to the bathroom in a movie. 
I'm not going to miss any of it. I paid too much money to sit there. So I will wiggle and squirm, do whatever I need to do, but I'm not going to leave the movie. So my thought was, it's kind of like I talked about a few weeks ago, that we have entitlement issues, right? And I think what it comes down to is we don't really pay attention to what's going on around us. We don't notice things around us very often because we're so many times consumed with our own lives. We're consumed with the things that that we are responsible for or we are in love with having to do with just us. And we stay focused so much, we get that tunnel vision and we don't pay attention. We don't see the needs around us or don't care about the things around us. Well, Luke, as he's writing in the book book of Acts, he's saying to the early church and he says it a couple of times that everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Well, in Acts chapter two, Luke doesn't really give us any indication of what those miraculous signs and wonders may have been. But now in Acts chapter three, uh, we have an account of at least one of them. And that's the healing of the lame man who was healed at the, the gate called Beautiful of the temple. And evidently Luke has selected this one from a number of miracles that occurred during that time. So why did Luke choose this miracle? I think there's a couple of reasons why he chose this particular one. One of them is because it was the occasion for a second sermon by Peter. It was time for him to preach again and and this was a good one for him to choose. The second reason is because the miracle and sermon were the cause of the first persecution of the church. Now in my studies of this, I, I came across a, a couple of, um, of theologians, people a lot smarter than I am, that brought about this interesting um, side-by-side of two different books in the Bible. One of them being the book of Acts that we're in, but also laying Revelation next to it. And if we look at the book of Acts, we see these, um, this persecution that happened and, and different things that were going on, but it's right in front of us. And it's humans making these decisions, so it's, it's in our face and we see what's going on. The book of Revelation, when John is revealing this to us, we get to kind of see behind the curtain. The curtain that it comes down and we see the principalities and powers and, and the, the evil things that are going on behind the scenes. So it's an interesting comparison that goes on between these two books. In Revelation, there's a dragon with three allies, and they correspond to the devil's three weapons the early church faced in the book of Acts, one of them being the persecution of the church, the second one moral compromise, and then the third thing is that danger of exposure of false teaching. So one day, or on the day of Pentecost, this power from heaven comes down, and it fills uh, these people with the Holy Spirit. The power of God turned despairing doubters into dynamic disciples. They had received the promise of the Holy Spirit and were clothed with power from on high. But for what? Why were they given this power? Why did they receive this power? Was it for simply so they could feel good about themselves? Did they receive the power of God to keep it to themselves? No, absolutely not. They received the power of God to energize them to be witnesses, to share the love of Jesus Christ in a very secular society, to share this love and show the power of the Holy Spirit and enable them as disciples to reach out and touch the human need and share the liberating truth of the gospel of Christ. It's all about personal caring for people. We must never be content, never be content just to sit around. 
We should never be content to have the Holy Spirit within of, in us and keep it to us. There's a, an old hymn, Standing on the Promises. Anybody remember that hymn? I'm not going to sing it for you, but Standing on the Promises of God my Savior. It just goes on and on. Somebody said a long time ago, many of us will sing Standing on the Promises while we're sitting on the premises instead of doing anything. Pentecost is to enable us to reach out and touch others. So in our scripture today, we see the power of God on the human life, the healing of a human life. We see served people serving people. Anybody seen that blue shirt ever? You may have noticed it. A couple hundred people wear it here every Sunday. So in this passage, we see a real example of the power of God healing. And this man was healed physically, but the message of this is so much more than that. There's so much symbolism in it. Passage deals with human healing on every level. So look with me at Acts chapter 3. We're going to read straight through the first 10 verses, and we're going to go back and, and look at those individually as, as to, to make some points about this text. Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us, verse 5. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for uh, what you've already done today and, and in leading someone to go from death to life in our early service. We thank you for that. And we praise you for it, God. We pray, God, that as we sit here, that we pray expecting you to do something, to move in our lives, God, plunder around our hearts and, and meet us where we need to be met right here, right now in this place. We thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. So what we see before us is a human tragedy. We're not dealing with a man here who got into an accident after a long life and now is not able to walk. We're not dealing with someone who even as a teenager may have gotten hurt and his life was changed because of this. But the scripture tells us very clearly that this was a crippled man from birth. He was born this way. He never walked. He never ran and jumped and played like the other boys. He was never able to do so many things that he watched going on around him. So this was a tragedy as we judge things today. I'm sure there were opportunities that were denied him because of his affliction. There were no ADA rules back in these times. There were not handicap ramps. 
There were not privileges given to an individual who could not do for themselves like we thankfully have today. They were cast out. There was something wrong with them. They weren't allowed to do certain things. We can only speculate concerning what effect this must have had on his heart. Not only physically was he afflicted, but he could have easily been bitter. There had never been a day in his life when he had not been a burden to somebody. Every day his friends carried him to this gate, sat him down for him to beg. He was constantly dependent on someone else. All he could do was beg, sit there, and hope that people would have pity on him. The healing of this man is both literal and symbolic. It's literal in the, for over 40 years, this man had suffered from an ailment that made him lame. He was born that way. He had known, he had never known the freedom of going anywhere without having to ask others to carry him. It's symbolic in that we see in the life of this man is a picture of the tragedy of our human condition. Everywhere we look, there's human hurt, there's human suffering, there's pain, there's tragedy. And sometimes it manifests itself through a physical affliction, such as this man had. But more often it goes unseen to the human eyes. For everyone who is crippled physically, there are literally tens of thousands who are crippled emotionally. And there are tens of thousands who are crippled spiritually. The message of this man is that there are needs to be met in human lives everywhere. And those needs exist in lives that can seem outwardly wonderful. So this lame man sat and begged at a, ba- a gate called Beautiful. From historical accounts, we know that this gate was indeed an impressive sight. It was made of Corinthian bronze. It was over 60 feet high and was inlaid with gold all throughout it. When the sun shone on it, it sparkled, it shined. 60 feet high, a magnificent, glorious looking gate. And at the base of this gate is this lame man begging for money or whatever he could receive. What is the irony of that? What is the irony of all the buildings and all the wonderful things that we have as churches, the ornateness of those things, the beauty of those things, the iconic structures that that we have in churches throughout the world, and all the while hurting people sit at the base or inside of those How many of our coworkers or friends or neighbors appear outwardly to be doing okay, but inwardly they are struggling? They're overextended financially. They don't know what to do with their children. Their marriages are falling apart. Their job is hanging by a thread or they just hate to be there. Their self-esteem is demolished. They're guilty and depressed and don't know where to turn. Behind every door, there's a human need. Every person has a story to tell. We've all been hurt. We've all been used. We've all failed. And we all need healing. People need a heavenly touch from God. And this man needed a heavenly touch from God. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit made available to him. But how was he going to get it? Every day he's brought here. 
every day for who knows how many years. He was 40 years. We don't know how many years of that they brought him there. But it was obviously a lot. Every day he sat and begged. He wasn't in the group at Pentecost. He didn't know what was going on. He lived his life out of the mainstream. He was oblivious to the good news of God. He couldn't get to church. And I'm not sure if he would have gone if he could get there. What was there for him? Unfortunately, this is the attitude of many people today about church. What I'm so thankful for is it's not the attitude here. If you've been here for more than a week, you know that we want hurting people. Because if we didn't welcome hurting people, the room would be empty. Right? And if we said anything about we aren't hurting, then we would all just be lying to each other. We do that well enough outside of the church walls. People all over have negative things to say about the big C church. They've been hurt. You've been hurt. I've been hurt. The crippled man may have been like that. Who would bring a heavenly touch? Well, there are five things that I think we're called to be as a church, that we're supposed to manifest, that we're supposed to impart, that we're supposed to bring about to the people around us. And the first thing is that we must expect something. We must expect something to happen. So many times we go into situations and we're just like, well, I don't know. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. When I go to a restaurant and order food, I expect what I ordered to come out. And if it doesn't, I'm let down. Or in our marriages, if we want something to happen or we put that expectation out there and it doesn't happen, it usually turns to resentfulness and bitterness. My wife, Lisa, asked me to do something and I don't do it, then I didn't meet that expectation and it lets her down. That never happens in my marriage, though. <laughs> I break the ice a little bit. So it was the ninth hour or three o'clock in the afternoon. This was the usual hour for prayer, but it's really a symbolic hour because it's exactly the same time that Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished. So at the very time that Jesus says it is finished, symbolically, because this has already happened, Jesus already died on the cross when this story is written, but at this very time is the same time that Peter reaches down and touches this man, and Jesus again says, it is finished, your affliction is finished. What a cool picture. It's very necessary to receive anything from God, we must expect something to happen. But Peter stopped and he said, look at us, according to verse five. This man expected to receive something from Peter and John. He didn't know what it was going to be. I think he obviously thought it would be money. But by his faith, it was quickened by Peter's words. But we must expect something. He expected something. If we pray for rain, why don't we carry an umbrella? How much do we really expect God to do? How is it that so many people can enter into a time of worship with God and leave unchanged? Many of us have never given our attention to God. We don't pay attention. We don't turn it over to God. You have never expected to receive anything, so you don't. 
and then turn around and we blame it on God. Unfortunately, when we turn off our minds, we get into church and we just kind of shut it down and just hope for the ending. Please, God, let him stop talking. Or gosh, this seems like a really heavy sermon. It's not very funny at all. Would he just stop? Or we start thinking about everything else. We start paying attention to what we need to do after church. Start thinking of other things. Some of us even catch up on Facegram and Twitter and Snapbook and Instadrama. All those things are going through our minds. So you all know about those, don't you? But unfortunately, the life-changing truth that goes from the scriptures just passes us right by. We miss what God wants us to do. So I challenge you today, first point, pray expectantly. Start right now in your heart. Allow God to churn something up in you. Shut down everything. Put your phone down. Put your stuff down that's keeping you from hearing God's word. Look up. The second point is we must provide healing. We must provide healing. Verses six through seven The minute that Peter had this man's attention, he did two things. First, he admitted his bankruptcy in material things. Silver and gold have I none. Silver and gold have I none. He announced it. Kind of want to try that next time I see somebody begging. Silver and gold have I none. I don't know how far that would actually go. It was not that they were opposed to giving to the poor but they could not give what they did not possess. And then he demonstrated his spiritual adequacy. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and walk. They could not give the power, they could could give the power of Christ because they were full of Christ. He could only give what he had. And that's the same thing it is with us. If we do not possess a living relationship with Christ, then we have no way of sharing the love of Christ. If we're struggling with being loving in our personal lives, it may be a question as to how our relationship with Christ looks. I take that back. It is a direct reflection of our relationship with Christ. Absolutely. We must be careful not to let the things of this world get in the way. Today, we're able to say much more often that we do have silver and gold. Silver and gold, we do have. Possessions, we do have. But how often can we say, get up and walk? The apostles didn't have silver and gold, but they had the power of God. What we need are not possessions, but power. Power to touch people's lives with the presence of the living God. Power to reach out to people and lift them up from their tragic circumstances their awful lives at time and give them healing and hope and friendship and fellowship. The awesome picture of this story is the power of God, but Peter's hand. Did you catch that? It was the power of God, but it was through Peter's hand. That's what God wants to do for you. That's what God wants to do for me. He wants to reach in and through us to those around us. Luke is very careful to make sure that we get the total impact of what happens next in verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. The third thing that we are supposed to do as a church is we must bring joy. 
We must bring, bring joy. What is joy? It's not a feeling. It's just not something we come across. It's a state of mind. It's where we are. It's who we are because of Christ living in and through us. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. That's a huge picture. Many of you have had surgeries and, and been down, you know, for whatever reasons, for different things. Many years ago, I had to have a, a knee surgery, a, an ACL reconstruction. Um, goes back to that awesome athletic career I had. And um, it can be, you know, the older I get, the faster I was, and it's probably the same as you. And, but I, I finally had to kind of give in to this because it was just killing me, just regular daily walk. So when Lisa and I moved back here in 1999, decided to go ahead and get this, this done. I went to the doctor and the doctor kind of tested my knee and he said, oh, you probably need to get this done. If you hurt this again, I'm not really having anything to work with in there. So he said, you know, do the ACL reconstruction. As soon as I'm done, you're going to walk out of here, maybe on crutches, but you're going to walk on your own, start rehab, and you'll be good to go. Yes, it's ready. This was in August. I wanted to snow ski in December. That was my goal. So going to surgery, and I don't like to be put to sleep, so they didn't put me to sleep. So I'm awake during the surgery. With the, I'm kind of sadistic that way. It's just, it's just something. Don't judge me. But I, you know, I watched it on the video. It was kind of cool. Uh, even the the the, uh, one of the doctors in there was building my, rebuilding the ACL on like another table, and he wanted to see how awake I was, and he's like, oh, oh, dropped it. And I'm like, whoa, dude. He goes, you are awake, aren't you? I said, yeah, and you better not drop that. And um, I'm sure the floor is clean, but not that clean. So anyway, has nothing to do with the story. But at the end of it, at the end of surgery, he, he, the doctor comes to me, and he goes, everything went good, but we kind of found um, some problems while we were in there. It's like, oh, I didn't leave anything in there. What, what was in there that was a problem? And he said, well, the base of your femur was really, really bad. So I had to, um, to kind of pop the end of it with an instrument, and it kind of looked like a six on a dice after I finished. So it would, uh, this is kind of gross, but I'm going to say it anyway, it just kind of bled out. And you need to do 1,000 heel slides per day for a month before you put any weight on it. Now, heel slides, if you don't know what that is, that's basically sitting laying on your back, legs out in front of you, you tie a sheet, a rope, or something around your leg, and you pull it to you a thousand times per day, sliding your heel on the ground, and it rounded off the end of the bone. Well, I say all that to say I was really excited about not doing that anymore, getting back on my feet, jumping for joy and praising God. What I can't imagine is how excited and joyful this guy was after having never walked, never standing upright on his own. How much joy would that be to be free and be able to do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it? What an awesome, awesome picture. The man was changed. Not only was he healed, but joy flooded his soul. The scripture says, and he went to them in the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God because someone cared enough to reach out in the name of Jesus. What did this mean to him? It meant now he could walk. It meant now that he could work. It meant now that he could have a full life. It meant now that he wasn't uh, put away, put aside, put out, carried anywhere. He was changed, but it meant more than that. It meant much more. It meant that somebody cared. It meant that God loved him. Now that he could live in communion with God every day, 
He had been healed in more ways than one. How could he help but rejoice? And that's precisely what he did. As he was walking and leaping and praising God, it had to be awesome. How, how much joy do we have, even at church? I can remember growing up in church and, and going to Sunday school and, and, and messing with the flannel graph. I know, what a, you know everybody that's my age or older knows what a flannel graph is. Now it's an iPad. But anyway, that was fun stuff. We had Play-Doh and, and glue and you could you know, eat the Play-Doh and, and whatever you did as a kid and, and weird stuff like that. Kids eat glue and, and you'd be in therapy for that. But anyway, they... Uh, we, we did all kind of fun stuff and it was exciting and we got, you know, we got snacks and, and juice and it was so awesome. And then we'd leave there and come to church and I would sit in church wondering, did they kill Jesus again between services? Because everybody's so sad in here. And the longer I'd sit in church, I realized why. It was awful. It was boring. You couldn't say anything. If you, if you said anything... You, your mom would reach over and slap you and stop smiling and you're in church, you know? Get backhanded for, for just, you know, laughing a little bit or looking for something to laugh at. My mom played the organ for 16 years, so I was in the church on Saturday for her to practice and Sunday. I got hauled out of church a many a time, many a time. Joy is something that comes from the Spirit living in and through us. The fourth thing that we as a church must do is bring wonder. Bring wonder. Verses 9 through 10 say, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Can you, can you see this picture? He comes out and all these people are looking at him and going, you have that one person who actually saw it. So they're over here with this crowd and they're like, dude, that's the guy, yeah. So they give the old saying, what had happened was, he was down here, his name was Fred, I named him Fred at nine. Fred, you know, they tote him here every week. And, and this man named Peter and, and his buddy named John, they walked up to him, said something I couldn't hear because I was standing over here and the chariot was loud and somebody hadn't turned off their radio and, and I was, I couldn't pay attention, but I saw Peter reach down his hand and pulled Fred up and Fred walked. That's what happened. Really? You talk about wonder and amazement? This guy had never walked. You know people who are crippled. You know people who are handicapped for different reasons on the outside. That would be pretty amazing. It's just as amazing, though, to watch someone go from death to life. Because we are just as crippled, we are just as destined to eternal hell if we do not know Christ and should be just as joyful and amazed and have wonder when we see someone make that decision. I know I feel that way when I made that decision and love to see other people do that. So there was this immediate twofold effect. The people were convinced that it was God at work and they knew that it had been done in the name of Jesus. The people saw it and were convinced of God's work and they were ready for the explanation. How did this happen? What happened? And that's the rest of this chapter when Peter preaches again and uses the remainder of the chapter to do this. Are you amazed? Are you amazed by anything that happens in your life? Are you amazed by God? Because if we're not amazed, God may not be doing what God wants to do in your life. 
He may, not be want, want, he may not be doing what he wants to do in my life. That's why we're not amazed. The fifth and final thing that we as a church are to do is serve. We must serve. The lame man needed a touch from God. So we may say, well, that's a nice story. Man down and out gets healed. Okay. So what? What's the big deal? What does it have to do with me? I'm glad Fred got up. Glad he's walking. But I got somewhere to be at 1230, so wrap it up. But when I read scripture, I often try to place myself in the story. Do you do that? Read a story and you're like, ah, I can identify with that. I want to be that guy. Or, uh, that is me. I can see myself as the lame man. I know you can too. Hurting, down and out, depressed, overwhelmed with life, just hurting and need a touch from God on occasion. Some of us daily, some of us are tormented in this room right now or just dying from bad news, dying from a constant, constant pain physically or emotionally. I'd like to see myself as Peter or John though. I'd rather be that extension of the church reaching out into the community and helping people get from where they were to where they want to be. I really want to be those guys. But do you know who we really are in the story? Do you know how we as a church are, parade, are portrayed in the story? We don't really have a name. We're not named by Luke in the book of Acts. But we are all the hundreds, if not thousands of people who walked right by Fred and did nothing. How are you serving? How is God working in your life? And how is that being manifest into your community? How is your marriage how are you serving your spouse? You know me well enough. I'm a marriage therapist. So no matter what scripture I use, I will always talk about marriage. Deal with it. I can bring it into anything. But it's a great way to see how you serve. One of the things that I am uh, get a little frustrated and tired of hearing over the past years is the man who comes home from work and expects that marching band to play when he enters the room. I'm here, I've been working all day. All hail, I have entered the house. Everything should stop. Look at me, watch me go sit down in my recliner. And you sit there and you watch your wife move throughout the house for the next three to four hours, preparing dinner, doing homework, fussing with kids doing everything while you sit there and rest because you had a hard day at work. And then you go to bed with some foreign expectation that there should be intimacy because you have arrived in the house. I wanna just throw a challenge out there that if that's your attitude as a man, it's pathetic. It is unbiblical. It is wrong. Guys, do the chores. Plan a date for your wife. Don't help with the kids. Be a dad. 
because they're yours too. Use some kind words for a change. Give a random gift. Make your spouse a priority. And if you don't know what to do, guys, ask her. I guarantee you she will tell you. Respectfully, right, ladies? Because that's what you're called to do. Respect your husbands. Ephesians chapter 5 is one of the most misused scriptures in, in the text, in all of scripture. But Paul says, I mean, yeah, Paul says very clearly in the text, women, respect your husbands. And then he says, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He doesn't tell us both the love and respect because we don't do one or the other naturally. Women don't have a natural respect. They don't walk up to each other and shake hands. They walk up to each other and hug and cry and have emotions. We men, we hug, we nod, we grunt. We do things that just show respect without even knowing anybody. So he commands us to do the other because it's unnatural for us. Women, respect your husbands. Now you're saying, well, if he would do those things you just said, I'd respect him. You're not allowed to qualify it. It would be easier, yes. And men, I think it's our responsibility to make that happen. But women, find something you can respect your husband. That's how you serve your spouse. Teens and college students, how are you serving? What are you doing each and every day? How often do you walk by that person in need? How often do you look around, look down to avoid making eye contact with that person you know who needs a special touch, a heavenly touch from God? Other singles who are working, others, it's, is it all about you? Are you reading God's word and doing what it says? Because if you are, you will discover very quickly that if you're reading God's word and doing what it says, you're not as important as you think you are. Because the deeper we get into scripture, the more outwardly focused we become. We see those things around us. Why don't we do that? We talked about a few weeks ago that, that serving is the interruption of our priorities. But if we're focusing on God and we're reading God's word and doing what it says, we see God's priorities. We don't get interrupted because they're right in front of us. They're very obvious. And we take those steps to serve those around us. This morning, we're getting ready for, for this worship service. And every Sunday morning, we have a time of prayer that's awesome. We pray for whoever's preaching that morning. Sit around and talk about the service and, and we wanna all be on the same page as what what we feel like God's doing, getting everybody's eyes on it to prepare for this time. But this morning, one of our young men came to us early and is really, really struggling with things. And instead of having our normal prayer time, we stopped what we were doing. We interrupted our priorities that we thought were God's priorities and we prayed for him. That's what this church does. That's what Connection Church does. We want to walk with you. We want to help you Find ways to serve God. Help you make those decisions. Take your next step. Well, the final picture I want you to see this morning is a picture that came out of that prayer time when one of our prayer team members said something about Satan cannot look at the light. 
and we shine the light on things that Satan's doing, it will expose him. And I believe that's what happened that day at the gate called Beautiful, when this, this crippled man who's sitting on his mat that they brought, and he's down low all of his life, down here, really, really low, probably constantly looking down because he knew that if he made eye contact and they didn't give money, it was embarrassing. So embarrassing, so guilty, so despondent, so rejected. But Peter says to him, the first thing he says, look at us. And he forced him to look up, look up and see. And then Peter did the next most awesome thing that I see in the text. And he took him by the hand. He didn't make him stand up on his own with his wobbly legs that didn't work. He grabbed him by the hand and he pulled him up and he helped him. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be as a church, to help those in need. Some of us right here today, we are that lame beggar. We're hurting, we're dying inside. Some of us are sitting here and we have not even started a relationship with Christ. And we want you to have that opportunity right here, right now. The way we do that here is we like to celebrate it. Just like one this morning who was sitting right here in the front, stood up and said she wanted to meet Christ for the first time. God is knocking on your heart right now and you know that you need to start that relationship with him. And right here, right now in front of God and everyone, we would love for you just to stand so we can celebrate, pray with you and walk you through the introduction of that relationship with him. So right where you are, stand. That's the decision you need to make this morning. God's knocking on your heart. Amen. 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 All over the room. Anyone else? Thank you so much. Anyone else? Please, if y'all just stay standing, somebody's going to come right over there and we want to just grab you and we're not going to take you out to lunch or make you miss anything this afternoon. I just want to pray with you and walk you through that decision. For others, and I know we're a little bit over time, but Brandon's always a lot longer than I am, so I'm going to take just another minute. What I'd like for you to do right now, if you think about this story, it wasn't Peter by himself who came to this man. It wasn't John by himself, but they came in, a, in twos. There were two of them that came together. What a great picture of the church. God does not call us as individuals to live a life of Christ individually. I think it's spiritually impossible to do that. And it's also ignorant to do that because if we live a life individually in Christ, where's our accountability? We can do what we want to when we want to. We can talk in the movies if we want to. God calls us to come alongside each other. So for the next couple of minutes, this is what I want you to do to close. I want you to turn and ask someone or tell someone this. Ask them if they need prayer or ask them because you need prayer. And I want you to say to them, I'll go with you up front to pray or we can do it right here. This morning at nine, we cleared, that we cleared this whole place. Everybody was moving. It was awesome. I hope God will do that in your life today. Ask someone next to you if they need prayer or tell them that you need prayer. Grab them by the hand. Come down and make this place an altar. We're going to do that for the next couple of minutes. So go ahead and move. <laughs>